They're beauties, aren't they? Cauliflower cheese. With what? There's not a standard keyboard, you just toss the one that's there. And the cauliflower cheese. With what? Hello there, my little summer squashers. It's a champion British butler. Keep calm and cauliflower cheese, episode 210. So you've made it to an end of another week. Well, how's it been for you this week? I bet you haven't been sweating as much. I bet you hadn't had to ice those sheets or freeze those pillows or put socks in the freezer. My one concern, though, is once the socks thaw out, you're going to have soggy, wet feet, but there's nothing worse. Is there anything worse than wet feet? I don't like getting my hair wet, so I often walk along and walk around with either a sort of Duncan Goodhue type of swimming hat on, the Halloween rubber wig if you're trying to dress up as Duncan Goodhue or Dr. Evil or Mini-Me, depending on your size and stature, I suppose. There's one for the kids, Duncan Goodhue. Looking up, he was a... uh, he wasn't the sort of the Eddie Eagle of swimming. He's quite a good swimmer. I don't know if he won any gold medals or anything. I think he was a Michael Phelps or anything along those lines. But a little uh, hark back to the 1980s. And now I've decided that I will go as Duncan Goodhue, uh, along with the budgie smugglers, for Halloween this year. I'm going to get one of those rubber, bald wigs. Is it a wig when there's no hair on it, though? Big question. I mean, if it's just a rubber... A rubber like a swimming hat, but to make yourself look bald, then uh, is it called a wig? Or is it just some ingenious disguise covering up all of Chappie's luscious, slightly disheveled locks? Disheveled is a pretty good word to describe this podcast, this carb-laden podcast. We're like a chilled cauliflower gazpacho today. But I don't know, if you chilled cauliflower cheese, would you get the globules of cheese as it's in the fridge and it sort of um, reignites and re-solidifies under the coolness of the fridge. Do you start getting those globules of cheese? You've melted it down. You're going to chill it in the fridge. Maybe some, uh, you know, over ice or something along those lines. But do you start getting the globules of cheese? Because this podcast, although it's chilled for the summer, still contains globules of cheese. If you stick your fork in, or your spoon, it's so thick you may need a fork and knife. But if you stick your spoon in, you can probably gluttonous, gelatinous globules of cheese inserted all the way through this podcast. What other podcast would you get gelatinous, gluttonous, and disheveled in the first three minutes of the podcast? They're good Scrabble words. If you're, not, if you're only going to listen to this podcast to play a rather mediocre game of Scrabble, then you can just listen to some of the vocabulary. It's not scripted. This is what comes out of my mouth. And you're probably thinking, yes, we understand, Jappy. It's absolute drivel. I mean, it may be eloquent drivel, but it's drivel that's uh, erupting from your mouth as you uh, do this podcast on a twice-weekly cycle. Cauliflower everything now. Just keep coming cauliflower cheese, obviously. But everything's cauliflower. You get rice cauliflower. You get cauliflower thickening agents. You get cauliflower pasta that makes sort of cauliflower gnocchi. And even cauliflower flour that thickens everything up. And you can make pasta out of cauliflower flour. 
So a couple of years ago when the Brain Charles, the Brain Trust got together and came up with this fabulous idea or name for the podcast that's going to be a carb-laden, heavy fest of food that you should probably only eat once in a while. And then when he came up with cauliflower, little did we know that it was going to be the new, greatest, best thing ever. And, that, and it's sort of low in carbs. That's, that's the ingenious part of it. You can have as much as you want, but it's relatively low in carbs. Now, if you put a bunch of cheese in it, and then you uh, have loads of croutons or a huge hunk of husky bread that you're going to dip in it, then it's a little bit heavy on the carbs. And this is what we want. We want people to enjoy themselves. We want this to be the comfort food of podcast listening. So as I uh, read out a few weeks ago, I've always been a very polite for young man. Well, old man these days. But I've uh, been polite, but I've never sort of overextended myself. And this is something that I've noticed living in America for nearly 20 years. Everything's super helpful or awesome. And it's just a little bit too ebullient, too enthusiastic. It's a little bit too much. And I've sort of got used to it over the years and sort of siphoned it out. But Americans are very, very enthusiastic people. They are, and they're throwing in all these lovely sort of adjectives. And I overuse the word lovely. Yes, always, always, everything's lovely. But I don't think I would say super. I might say super smashing great. It takes a time for the ball to evolve and look what you would have won. I mean, I might say that, but uh, I don't think I would say super helpful or awesome. Have I ever used the word awesome? But I don't think I've ever done anything. I'm sort of stuck in that little vehicle of mediocrity. And uh, I can't be that enthusiastic about things. I need to try, I'm, I'm trying to be enthusiastic. I, I mean, it's hard enough to be enthusiastic and then flash or smile, especially with British teeth. Some of the things that we may or may not be talking about through the course of the podcast today. I trailed something into the gym and it wasn't Hansel and Gretel type of like crumbled hobnob biscuits or digestives or anything like that. I trailed something into the gym and had to leave soon after. I have a slightly curved water bottle. Uh, also, uh, we're going to be launching a new product here on the podcast that I feel, as a middle-aged man, this podcast is a perfect vehicle to promote a new product for Chappie. And it's for all those middle-aged men out there who all of a sudden look in their mirror and think, Jesus Christ, what's going on here? If you think negative or positive thoughts, then things are going to happen. I sort of, uh, I sort of really go around the rim of the glass, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm a glass half-empty sort of fella. I would say most of the time. But everything is awesome, and it's super helpful. Oh my God, it's super helpful. Yeah. I'm often feeling myself up. Yeah, I'm feeling myself. Why am I doing this? We'll be talking about that. I've got a new form of measurement that I've never used before, but I'm going to start using, I think, because it makes everything seem bigger. So we'll be talking about that 
on the podcast as well. And just an, just a little uh, bit of a information for you, the listener. As I say, I may or may not be talking about it. Some of these topics may appear on later podcasts. And we just want to put this addendum into the podcast. Uh, some of the featured old topics will appear on later podcasts. A walrus named Freya is sinking boats and causing mayhem in Norway. A hefty and charismatic walrus. Well, I see the hefty part, but how do you know a walrus is charismatic? They, they look pretty sort of on the borderline of having a anger explosion on a daily basis. But I don't know. I don't know if I'd call a walrus charismatic. She's winning ardent fans and a share of haters after taking up residence in Norway harbours and hauling her 1,500 pound self up to lounge on boats. I've had myself a boat. I've had myself a big boat. Is that sweet? I mean, I do apologise here. I do apologise. I don't think Freya would talk like that. I imagine Freya talking more like Barry White. Hey, you got yourself a boat. I mean, now I'm sounding like uh, <laughs> Robert Shaw and Jaws. The, it's a walrus of love. I mean, it's a sort of Barry White thing. Hey, baby, you got a boat for me. You got a big vessel. I mean, that's how Freya would talk, I think. This has been a problem for boats that are not walrus worthy. And try saying that without putting your teeth in. I mean, walrus worthy is a large boat. A super yacht, probably. Video that's been posted highlighted some of Freya's finer moments in the town of Cragero, where she spent some of her time earlier this summer. Two boat owners told the news outlet they wanted Freya gone. Many people, however, had the exact opposite reaction to Freya's antics and have flocked to the harbour to see the Tusk icon in action. With my nasal hair, I feel that I could become a tusked icon. And almost the size of Freya, I need a big vessel. Unfortunately, both forms of attention have been stressful and overwhelming for her. More importantly, she's been hanging around Oslo, where the crowds are just too much. You don't be hanging around the docks in Oslo. Who knows what could happen? They could serve you some boiled fish and meatballs. I don't think the Norwegians eat meatballs. It's only the Swedish, isn't it? But I imagine there's a lot of fish in the diet, especially in Freya's diet. I, a researcher at the University of Southeastern Norway, said she observed TV news crews getting too close to Freya in their boats, hedging her in so she couldn't get away. Additionally, harbour officials have been trailing her and spraying her with a hose to keep her off the boats. You're going to need a bigger hose for Freya. She needs to relax up to 20 hours. That's how I've become in my dotage, I think. I need to relax for 20 hours when she's constantly stressed out by people and their presence is not good for her. I said the area around Freya should be cordoned off to help people keep away from her. Meanwhile, Freya also continues to pick up fans from afar with many people celebrating and rooting for her on social media. Freya has become the Moby Dick of Warruses. I'm still being a very good chap. I'm going to the gym on a regular basis, but I think the people who go to the gym would rather I not go to the gym anymore. It's not because of my excessive sweat of Bigfoot on a 100 degree day with no rivers to like soak in or drink from. It's not that sort of situation. The situation is the other day I got onto the Travelator 
and um, <laughs> chopper ready, and I was ready to go. I got on the travel agent. I started doing my thing, you know, and I, you know, I, I like to give it some when I'm on the travelator. It sort of knees up Mother Brown, knees up, knees up, knees up, knees up, Mother Brown. So I'm like, get, get knees, you know, knees up, getting the knees going, getting the arms going, get everything flailing away, building up the sweat, slowly but surely. And then all of a sudden, I realised that my left trainer sneaker, gym shoe, tennis shoe, sneaks, whatever you want to call them, is caked in dog shit. Yes, dog shit right on the bottom. And I'm looking around and people are seriously like squiffling up, you know, just trying to get some fresh air in. Twitching their noses is almost like uh, the whole dreamer genie situation going on. So I had to skedaddle for a second there. I mean, people were looking at me as I went, thinking, now, is that the smell that emanates from him when he when he sweats? Does it smell like dog shite? Well, I have to reassure, reassure the people, if any listeners here who live in near Chappie Towers, who are at the gym on, uh, on Monday, then uh, they'll realize that I am indeed the perpetrator. I'm the phantom shiter with a bunch of dog shite cake to my shoe i had to go back to the apartment and i mean what do you do in this situation uh, other than use an old butter knife to scrape it off and uh you know soak them wash them put on a new pair so i decided you know i might go back to the gym with my Louboutin stilettos on it, you know, just to give you an extra sort of workout. So I went back to the stilettos and there was less, uh, you know, there was less viewing and smelling and uh, interest in me wearing my stilettos. I went back to the gym. Obviously, I'm kidding. I put on, uh, put on my penny loafers. But I only have one pair of trainers. Everybody these days has like four or five pairs of trainers. You're seeing men wearing suits and trainers. If you've got a bespoke suit on, why have you got a trainer on? You need to have that beautiful, beautiful loafer, like a polished brogue, and you need those little suspender things holding your shocks up. Yeah, I'd never be seen dead in a trainer rim in a bespoke suit. So I went back, and maybe they thought I needed a water break or a, or a comfort break or something along those lines. But I do worry that people think that I, when I sweat, I smell like a rather overweight corgi shite. In reference to my uh, cakeage on the on the sole of my feet when I went to the gym the other day, I was I a little bit high on the hog. Now, I'm thinking when you're living high in the hog, you're living sort of beyond your means with resplendent parties and banquets, and uh, yeah, you can't afford to do that. But uh, can you be high in the hog with the smell? Anyway, it made me think about the origin of high on the hog. The source of the phrase is often said to be the fact that the best cuts of meat on a pig come from the back and upper leg, that the wealthy ate cuts from high on the hog, while the paupers ate belly pork and trotters. I, I do like to see a uh, floating trotter in a pasole. 
I mean, I lived in, uh, I lived down in New Mexico for a while. I, I like the trotter in the Basole, but nobody knows what a trotter is. And belly pork is, yeah, I love a, I love a pork belly. The imagery of lords and ladies feasting on fine meats done to a turn at old English banquets is easy to bring to mind. And this seems to be the right context for the phrase that's been coined in. However, as far as the saucy expression goes, our imagination needs to leap forward a few centuries. None of the variants of the phrase living or eating high on or off the hog can be found in any of the works of Chaucer, Shakespeare or the like. In fact, they aren't found in any print form until the 20th century and then in the USA rather than England. High has been used in the UK with the meaning impressive, superlative, exalted since the 17th century. And in the USA, since 19th century, example of Samuel Pepys's diary, he liked to call Samuel Pepys's diary, where it seems people do drink high. The idea of living on the high in the hog initially meant living high in life and eating pork rather than literally eating meat from high on the pig seems plausible when dealt a blow by the following citation the earliest print form of the phrase came in the new york times in march 1920 southern laborers are eating too high on the hog pork chops and ham and american housewives eat too far back on the beef porterhouse and round steak are to blame for the continued high cost of living the american institute of meat packers wouldn't you be part of the american institute of meat packers and the Chutney Ferret Association of New York. High on a hog is a similar pedigree in the mid-20th century. For example, the San Francisco paper said, I have to do my shopping in the black market because we can't eat high on the hog as Roosevelt and Ikes and Joe Davis and all the millionaire friends of the common man. Alternative suggestion also originating in America that piglets who get suckled from the top row of teats of the prone mother sow tend to fare better. Yeah, you don't want to be the runt of the litter. I, I often feel, I mean, I, I think I am the runt of the litter, although I'm the older sibling. I'm definitely, there's a little bit of runtage going on. So the top piglets get more milk than the top row of teats. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, it's like the, the, the top shelf, isn't it? It's like the top teats are like the Johnny Walker blue label of teats. Either way, it seems that the explanation is epistemologists call back formation. That is a plausible story that back fitted to provide a supposed derivation of existing phrase. There's also a phrase of Irish descent on the pig's back. The imagery where there is happy children riding on pigs and generally having a good time. This phrase predates the American cuts from high in the pig, meaning that the connection high in the hog may not be any more than coincidental. The expression took many years to travel beyond Ireland and the Irish expatriate communities in Australia and New Zealand. Why, when people had eaten pork for millennia, did the phrase not originate before the 20th century? It's a difficult question to ask. High in the hog appears to be derived in the USA as a reference to the cuts of meat on pigs. The question where the clunky idiom, eating too far back in the beef, didn't quite catch on. And I think people have beef with it. Did I have to mention that I have a curved water bottle? All the better for pouring water out without spillage. Very British Problems Official, one of my favorite Twitter and Instagram handles across the metaverse. 
Summer is okay, but nothing beats a Sunday roast on a chilly autumn day, followed by wrapping up in a coat and scarf for a brisk walk, ideally involving a dog through rusty, crunchy leaves as the sky grows orange and purple, and then home for apple crumble and good telly in the dark. I would not add with the apple crumble, I don't want ice cream. I know that's the American way of doing things. Single cream, I don't want that. I want some custard. I always want custard. I wonder if I could have custard. We talked about gazpacho. Is there a gazpacho version of custard one could try? Being unable to walk into an air-conditioned shop without saying, ooh, it's nice and cool in here. I'm very unsure. These are, these are honest answers to how it's all going. I'm very unsure. Badly, I think. I have no idea what I'm doing. Not too bad. Why, what have you heard? Have you seen the state of me? I'm tired. Been better? Please go away. Could be worse. Hard to say. Hmm. No. A stripper who claims Prince Harry gave her his pants is selling them. This is a little bit of a pricey here of the article. Carrie Reichardt, formerly a high-end dominatrix, is selling the pants. She says Prince Harry gave her his underwear at 2012 at a wild party. The pants are a memento when the Duke of Sussex was fun. Previously, Carrie has integrated the raunchy keepsakes into a strip tease act. Uh, on, on public display, a museum of erotica, the pants will now go on auction. Now, how, how will we know that these are Harry's pants? Do we have to go through a sort of DNA test? Is this sort of like a Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky thing? Is that a way of uh, identifying if, if it's pants? Or was there a remnants of maybe red pubic hair? I mean, I, just putting it out there, really. The former stripper who claims Prince Harry handled... Handled her... <laughs> handled her or handed her his underwear during a night out in Las Vegas will be auctioning the garment off to the highest bidder. Carrie Reichardt, who once worked in Sin City as a dominatrix called Lady Dominique, uh, Lady Dominique, uh, said the uh, prince handed her his pants after a wild night out. So was it a lot of a, you know, hazard a guess here again? Was it a sort of uh, situation by Austin Powers where he quickly removed his uh, Velcro-attached uh, trousers and underneath the pants so he could get to them quickly? Or is he very sneaky? Can he somehow take his underwear off with his trousers down and push them down the trouser leg? I mean, we just don't know here. There's not the there's not the detail that's required here. She came. She was given the memento on the same night Prince Harry infamously stripped down to his crown jewels, and they were literally the crown jewels, or was it a tiara? We just don't know. British-born Carrie's represented the Prince Harry had become a bore in recent years, but his pants served as a reminder of his wild past. When he partied in Vegas, everybody loved him and his sense of fun. At least these pants are a reminder of what he used to be like. Harry's become such a boy, he's all po-faced and serious these days. Carrie will be auctioning off the dress and swimsuit she wore at the 2012 Las Vegas Bash and believes the raunchy items could sell for $800,000. $800,000 for a pair of Harry's pants. I mean, if they're embossed with the House of Windsor crest, maybe. According to her account, the Duke of Sussex was using a pool cue as an air guitar. Well, I'm glad he was using playing air guitar, that he wasn't doing anything else with a pool cue, using the Michael Jackson's Beat It. Was this before or after he removed his trousers and the pants? Carrie had ample use of the pants over the decade, incorporating into a strictease act 
at the Las Vegas Hustle Club, where the auction will take place. It's an erotic memorabilia auction. They all come in disguise. Maybe they could come dressed as Duncan Goodhue with that, like, bald-headed wig on. Could Harry go in? And, uh, or Meghan, even. Could Meghan get Harry's underpants back? I mean, she seems like a strong lady. I mean, I guarantee it, though, these days, he would not be able to remove his pants without her permission. Many people have asked, well, maybe one person, Chappie, why didn't you have any mementos, chotskis, things that you can buy about keep on with cauliflower cheese? Other mementos or giveaways, promotional items for the podcast. And I was thinking, well, what could we have? We could have a keep calm and cauliflower cheese cravat, maybe a smoking jacket with the essence of Chappie. That's a little bit creepy. I mean, I'm thinking more of like the slightly smell of stale cigar smoke. But I haven't smoked a cigar in years, so that probably isn't going to work. Uh, maybe hair colours or a hair straightener we could have. Uh, embossed would keep calming cauliflower cheese or or chappy going on. And I think the most important thing, and uh, the, the, the listener that we're trying to reach out on is the same uh, person who's going through a potential midlife crisis. So uh, another male of uh, declining years, uh, past the supremo years anyway, and somebody maybe that needs a gentleman's persuade, a little groomer that can help out with the excess ear hair and the nasal tusks. We talked about Freya the Walrus. I have a little bit of Freya the Walrus going on, mainly around my midriff, but also tusks coming out of my nose. And I was thinking the other day, I think it was in the middle of the night, this came to me. And normally things come to me with a bump in the night. And uh, I was thinking, I, I, I could market these. I could use this as my promotional item so I could become Chappy the Influencer. And I could influence many people, many middle-aged people, uh, men, but may- maybe possibly the bearded lady. There were all ladies going out around here. My mother reminded me of a lady back in the day who had a moustache. Yeah, she had a tash. It wasn't just a, a wispy affair. It wasn't like a Cameron Smith deal going on. It was a black moustache. She was half a bearded lady. She didn't have the beard, but she did have the moustache. And she could do use one of these chappy clippers. Chappy clippers is one idea. But I think, ideally, we're going to market these with the embossed Keep Coming Cauliflower Cheese logo on there. Maybe signed by me. We're going to call them Snozzle Snippers. Snozzle Snippers is the item that we're going to market to the universe, to the metaverse, across many different areas. And I think it could catch on. Because men, as I talked to this a couple of podcasts ago, men neglect the ingrown nose hair. They look absolutely pristine on a date. And then all of a sudden, there's tusks of nose hair hanging out of their mouth and I think they're not hanging out of the mouth hang out of the nose I mean it could be that long it could be draping into the mouth but I think this is why a lot of men aren't getting second dates you need to have your gentleman groomer you need to have your snozzle snippers coming to Instagram very very soon we're going to market it and we're going to have our snozzle snippers selling to all and sundry a robot crushes a child's finger in a Russian chess match 
a robot has crushed the finger of a seven-year-old opponent during a chess tournament in Russia, local media outlets reporting. CCTV footage published by Telegram channel Baza captures the moment that the robot grabs the boy's finger mid-game and breaks it before four adults rush in to help free the child. I mean, this is one of the reasons we should be fearful of AR. Is the robots going crazy? It's a Terminator syndrome. It's the robots coming to get us. According to Russian news agency TASS, the incident happened during the Moscow Chess Open. Sergei Lavrov, the president of the Moscow Chess Federation, told TASS the robot was rented for his competition. The robot was rented by us. It had been exhibited in many places for a long time uh, with specialists. I mean, just need a little bit of WD-40, possibly a, a globule of germline then it wouldn't have gone crazy. The child made a move, and after that, we needed time for the robot to answer. But the boy hurried, and the robot grabbed him. We have nothing to do with the robot. They're washing your hands of the robot. Well, not close, which would be electric shock if you wash your hands next to a robot. Mr. Lavrov, but then you'd have a broken thing and electric shock. Mr. Lavrov said the child finished the tournament the next day in a cast with volunteers helping to record the moves. The parents want to contact the uh, prosecutor's office. But who do you? Who owns the robot? We will communicate, figure it out, and try to help the family in any way that we can to uh, you know, bring the robot to justice. The robot operators apparently will have to think about strengthening protection, well, hopefully not strengthening the robot's hand, because then the whole hand could be crushed and pulled off. You know, the bones could be broken and pulled off. Um, nothing serious has happened. Yes, a child's finger's been broken. And it put, it's putting, the robot doing this has now put the child off the chess game. The boy went to the awards ceremony. Everything is fine with the boy. There are certain safety rules and the child apparently violated them. Chess is a slow game. You don't rush it. And I think this is that the robot didn't like to be Russian. Rushing. Russian. And Russian. <laughs> anyway. So I, I've, I've thought about this. I mean, I've, I've all, had the situation where, um, y you know, a, a pawn has broken my finger or caused sprains and strains, but never a pawn. Can we learn anything from history about the do's and don'ts of modern dating? There was one thing the Georgians loved, it was the idea of love itself. From the coronation of George I in 1714 to the death of George the uh, fourth in 1830, the era was a celebration of love and marriage in popular culture, including the best-selling novels such as Samuel Richardson's Pamela or Virtue Rewarded in 1740. In an age of rapid change, it's how we form our own attachments should we look for the past for tips. The Georgian era was the great age of letter writing. Some found that the practice of writing helped them to express sentiments that they would not dare verbalize in person. I mean, it's like old-fashioned text messaging, isn't it, really? You'd never say it to a person's face, but you would text it or maybe write it in a quill back in the day. A uh, treasured sources of intimacy, introspection, and self-revelation, love letters can even surpass the number of in-person meetings. Letters were, letters were treated as precious vessels to be touched and kissed, and they often carried a lock of the suitor's hair. Now... The question is, so you're cutting off a lock of your hair and putting it in a wax-sealed letter. First of all, would the hair get attached to wax seal? I mean, that's that's a fear of mine. 
if, if I was sending a love letter to my, my darling, you know, and put a lock of hair in, I mean, first of all, she would want, wouldn't want it straightened. She wanted it curly. And then if it was attached to the wax seal, that could be a real problem. But also, do you wash the lock? I mean, at the end of the day, if you're writing your letter in the evening and you have dirty, greasy, grimy hair, do you go and wash your hair? Or do you snip the lock off and then do you wash the lock before you put it in the letter? These are important things when we, when we want to bring the old age uh, values of dating, flirting and wooing your loved ones to the modern age. Even the Queen's Guards make mistakes from time to time as demonstrated by a following video. The Queen's Guard screams at a shop tourist uh, and worker mistaking her for a tourist. From the footage, one of the cavalry soldiers was filmed screaming at a shop worker after mistaking her for a tourist. The guard is seen walking behind a pillar at the royal residence just as the woman is do doing the same to enter her booth. It is likely she thought she had another tourist trying to badger him for a photo and it turns out he had to shout at her. This is what the hot weather does to people. The hilarious outburst is shortly followed by a realization that the woman is just going about her business and he swiftly retreats. The soldier's reaction might appear to be a little overdramatic. Anyone who's encountered the Queen's Guards will know they don't like to be messed about. Tourists who get in the way have been known to be shouted at and in extreme cases even trampled on. Hello, hello, hello. What we got going on here, there? Stand back for the Queen's lifeguard. Don't touch the road. A drunk has been jailed after he stole a hundred seat ferry and smashed into boats yelling, I'm Jack Sparrow. I'm a pirate. Alison Wellen boarded the 45-foot dark princess with a friend over a two-day bender. She got drunk on Lambrini and ate poisonous deadly nightshade, which causes hallucinations. She undid the mooring ropes in the early hours and drifted up the river on the tide, bashing into the other boats like a pinball machine. Wellen taunted police, shouting, What are you going to do now? I believe this is out of your jurisdiction. 30 police, a life but crow, coast guards and paramedics had to be called. And when the cops finally arrested her after an hour, when the ferry came to rest in calm water, we've ended up in Sandra Pay if we hadn't been caught. Ah, oh, we ended up in Sandra Pay if we hadn't been caught by those land -up. More news on the cheeky, daring duo have completed a naked cycling ride from John O'Groats to Land End, despite being knocked off their bike early in the mission. Colin Unsworth and Sadie Tan wonder how tan she was, have cycled the way across the country and knew to raise more money for charity. The pair set off Grant John O'Groats on June the 29th and cycled their way down the country completely naked. The brave pair, well, more than a pair there, I think, completed 50 miles a day. However, despite the overwhelming support they received during the ride, the bold pair were left shaken when the driver knocked them off their tandem just outside Perth, Scotland. A 32-year-old man was charged with a road traffic offence. Far they have raised over £3,000. The pair have no plans to do a second new tandem ride, but are keen to organise one where members of the public can ride with them. Just make sure you bleach wipe the seats before hopping on the saddle. And a retired vicar has been uh, caught after uh, getting intimate with Henry Hoover. John Jeffs was wearing just a pair of lady's stockings and the vacuum nozzle, uh, which he was thrusting into when he was caught by a church ago who was attending a talk about Asperger's syndrome. They described how he standed between two deck chairs thrusting into Henry Hoover at the Baptist Centre. 
they said they, when they saw him, Jeffs continued pushing his groin towards Henry, uh, famous for its relentless and powerful suction. Uh, you know, the pe- I guess allegedly the people would probably not have the communion wafers anymore. Uh, it's Father, Son and Holy Hoover. So putting this out here to you, the Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese listener, I know everybody's about positive mental reinforcement. If you think positive things, positive things actually do happen. How about if you think slightly negative things? Do they happen as well? So I've been living in the sort of wilds of the Southwest for about nine, ten years now. And uh, I've, I've never really seen any snakes. Well, I saw a snake uh, playing golf fairly recently and that was the, the, maybe the first time I've seen snakes. Now, people around me, lots of them have seen snakes. My girlfriend's seen many, many snakes recently, and I haven't seen them. But all of a sudden, I was reading these things on uh, the b- b- basic community postings, and they're saying about rattlesnakes. A lot of rattlesnakes have been seen recently. And apparently, the venom of the baby snakes is more concentrated and more powerful than the mama and dada snakes. I don't know if this is true, but I started thinking snakes, thinking snakes a lot. Worried about snakes when I'm on my dog walks. And guess what? Thinking about snakes, the snakes cometh. Because I saw a snake yesterday, walking the dog, walking the dogs. It was a little baby snake with that concentrated venom maybe. I don't know if it was a rattler, but it was a snake and I don't normally think about snakes but suddenly thinking about snakes the snakes are cometh and they're coming to haunt me thank you very much for listening to the podcast today it's been smashing having you here again hopefully you've had a delightful week I've had some lovely lovely thunderstorms recently that really does chill everything it chills the girls people and uh, next morning so fresh isn't that fresh air after a good rain one of the best ceilings? It's not a guilty pleasure. It's a pleasure to take a deep breath and enjoy that walk with the fresh air instead of the humid, sultry, dusty air that I've had of later. Oh, anyway, have a smashing weekend. Have a super smashing great weekend. If you like the podcast, uh, like and subscribe. If you're not subscribing, I'm watching you now. Go and click on subscribe on your, any of your favorite podcasting platforms, whether it's Apple Music, Spotify, has an audio version, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Audible, Amazon Music, Google Music, uh, Slacker, Breaker. I mean, as the vicar turned on his hoover before he inserted anything, the beautiful sound of that suction, you could hear Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese emanating from the suction unit of the hoover. And again, before we put anything in there, it just making that clear dirty pervert if you like music today on the musical emporium butler edition on spotify you can have some raw band you can have some ezra collective you can have some harry styles you can have some uh, b52s michael jackson david bowie uh, you can have some tony allen you can have some jill scott you can have some beautiful beatles Sounding like this band sounds like the Beatles, but they're not. Listen to Whitney. Listen to the back catalogue of Whitney. They sound just like the Beatles. A little psychedelic, lots of harmony, an absolute delight. Coming up next, though, we do have a poem. This is Swinburne, August 
There were four apples on the bough, half gold, half red, that might know. The blood was ripe inside the core. The colour of the leaves was more like stems of yellow corn that grow through all the gold June's meadows floor. The warm smell of the fruit was good to feed on. And the split green wood, with all its bearded lips and stains of mosses of the cloven veins, most pleasant if one lay or stood in sunshine or happy rains. There were four apples on the tree, red stained through gold that might see. The sun went warm from core to rind. The green leaves made the summer bind. In that soft place they kept me with the golden apples shut behind. The leaves caught gold across the sun. And where the bluest air begun, thirsted the song, helped the heat. As I feel my lady's feet draw close before the day were done, both lips grew dry with dreams of it. In mute August afternoon, they trembled to some undertune of music in the silver air. Great pleasure was it to be there till green turned dusky and the moon coloured the corn sheaves like gold hair. That August time, it was a delight to watch the red moons wane to white, twixt grey seemed stems of apple trees. A sense of heavy harmonies grew on the growth of the patient night more sweet than the shape of music is. But some three hours before the moon, the air still eager from the noon, flagged after heat not wholly dead, against the stem I lent my head. The colour soothed me like a tune, green leaves all around the golden red. I lay there till the warm smell grew, more sharp when flecks of yellow dew. Behind the round ripe leaves that blurred, the rind was stained and wet I heard. A wind that blew and breathed and blew, too weak to alter in it was one word. The wet leaves next to the gentle fruit smelt smoother than the brown tree root. Felt the mould warmer, I too felt, as water feels the slow gold melt right through it when the day burns mute. The piece of time wherein love dwelt, there were four apples on the tree, gold stained on the red that all might see. The sweet blood filled them to the core, the colour of her hair is more, like stems of far faint gold that moan from the harvest middle floor. Don't blub, but this is the solitary edition of the podcast this weekend. So enjoy it and soak it in. There's many, many episodes, 209 episodes before this, so a huge back catalogue for you, the loyal listeners, to listen to. I'll be back with two more editions of the podcast next week. Until next time, have a wonderful week. Cheerio. Cauliflower cheese. With laugh.